0: Ecclesiastes 3, For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. Time to be born, and a time to die. Time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted. Time to kill, and a time to heal. Time to break down, and a time to build up. Time to weep, and a time to laugh. Time to mourn, and a time to dance. Time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together. Time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing. Time to seek and a time to lose. Time to keep and a time to cast away. Time to tear and a time to sow. Time to keep silence and a time to speak. Time to love and a time to hate. Time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He's made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. That is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him that which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I say in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there's a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart, with regard to the children of man, That God is testing them, that they may see, that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of men, and what (laughs) happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so does the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from the dust, and to dust all will return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth? So I saw that there is nothing better, that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Word of our Lord.
1: The kids are invited to kids' church. It's up to you. What do you think? Kids are invited to kids' church with Kelly this morning. So i saw there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work because that is their lot for who can bring them to see what will happen to them is what the word of ecclesiastes proclaims for us this morning now um, this this portion that uh, uh kim just read for us uh is famous for a song by uh pete seeger and the birds pete seeger wrote the song turn 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 um, we are not going to hear that song from jonathan today and in fact, we will, we will hear the opposite of that song from Jonathan today. Um, Don had brought it up before, but, but music has this way of trying to capture in tones um, shifts and changes. One of the classic examples for this, at least for my lifetime, is when pop music is at its happiest in the, in the 90s. Um, a band called Nirvana sort of comes and proclaims the end of happy music, that the music has its meaninglessness to it, and and even their music, um, Jonathan and I were talking about other examples of that around the same time. Just doesn't sound that good. It's purposely distorted in other ways, and so we have this this come. But but what I'm going to have Jonathan, or what Jonathan's going to play today, is is um, from the same time period. Actually, it's a song by the Nine Inch Nails, Hurt that was covered by Johnny Cash um, towards the end of his life, and, and Jonathan brought up the point of that the, the lyrics, when Trent Reznor writes them with Nine Inch Nails, um, are connected to addiction and those sort of things. When, when Cash things them, particularly with the, the video, and if you, I'll put the video in the email this week if you've never seen it, it's connected with sort of the passion of the cross and even just loss in age. You know, Trent Reznor, I don't know how old he was when he wrote Hurt, but he was not as old as Johnny Cash looks in that video, which is very old. Um, uh, and in the Cash video, there's, um, it's recorded in the, the house that they made into his museum. But it just looks dirty and aged, and this empire is sort of failing. There's a, there's a meal before him, but there's sort of no joy at the meal. There's uh, images of the cross, cross in, in the Cash video. And one of the things that made it particularly um, big at the moment, it was, you know, Johnny Cash, I think, won a Grammy for this album at 80-something, was his wife is is sort of eerily in some of the frames, and she had passed away between the time when the video was filmed and the time that he sort of released the album, and so um, the loss that's felt in that. Um, So Jonathan is going to play it, but just to hear the loss and the anguish that comes, for music. If, if Ecclesiastes is part of what Don had said last week when he thought of the song, is put to music, it might sound a little bit like this song of sort of emptiness and dust. So I think that's enough for me.
2: How have I become?
1: for that jonathan um we hear in that song i think what what you might hear in the book of ecclesiastes this notion of what does it mean for us to live in a world as as he sees it under the sun full of hurt um uh, and the shift that happens, you know, as, as music shifts in that way, one of the things that I've been trying to say about Ecclesiastes is Ecclesiastes is counter-testimony to the way the world we understand it. So, so we put back up the banner from last year, which is from Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And what we have in the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom is this notion in... in um, you could read this in, in, in more of a positive tone, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and gaining in life. But what happens when we shift to the book of Ecclesiastes, the fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom takes on a different tone. We even see it in the passage we have today in which, in which fear plays a different role, that God has sort of set humanity for fear in this way. The things have transferred and changed. Fear God and keep his commandments summarizes at the end of the book, but this is a different way than the fear of the Lord. Now, if you grew up reading the Bible the way I did, it was mainly flat, trying to determine sort of one tone throughout it, one story, one way the universe functions throughout the whole thing. Um... Incidentally, if, if you're doing that, you don't pray the Psalms all that much, because the Psalms is one of the places where perhaps it's revealed that the Scripture... Uh, Zane, Jesse. Zane's got a baby. There is a TV remote back there. Oh, it came back up anyways. I don't have the back one, but that's fine um meaningless meaningless all is meaningless with the uh uh the back one won't connect jesse i i that one's a weird one so this one's on though um sorry <laughs> that can throw you off for a second Um, that you scripture became sort of this way of sort of reading it in one tone and sort of one place and in one way Um, but I think what we find the more is sort of we grow with scriptures the more we read different parts of it and the more we actually sit in different parts of it It is it was a joke with people as we were beginning to do Ecclesiastes as I was starting this summer people were revisiting it throughout the church and the awareness of wow it's much darker than when you read it in your Bible in a year plan is when you read it in your Bible in your plan, it's like, okay, check that one off. I'm moving forward. Uh, something about the birds, um, that's a reference to the song, and now I'm on to the next book of the Bible. Like, but if you sit in Ecclesiastes, something else begins to emerge, some other testimony about the way the world is. And so Proverbs sort of negotiated the world and to say that there's a script in which the fruitful and wise life can be found, do these things, arrange your life in this way, and you will find the fruitful and wise life. That's the way the equation works. Now, I would say that there are there's counter testimony within Proverbs. There Proverbs does not deny that there are exceptions to that. There's wisdom in Proverbs that says, you know, sometimes these things don't happen. But the predominant thrust of the book is, for most of you, the deal will work. And I think that's still true. I, I, Kelly and I have talked about this. It's important that counter-testimony stay counter-testimony and not become testimony. Um, Counter-testimony is not meant to say that all of life is then therefore found in exceptions to the norm. Counter-testimony is to say, but what happens when it doesn't? What happens when things don't even out the way in which we thought that they should even out? What if you said you follow the script, you live your life, you find your life in this meaning, meaningful way and yet when I add it all up and this is the author Kohelet, uh, we've been calling the author of Ecclesiastes by the name he gives himself in the book Kohelet which means teacher, gatherer several different things but, but Kohelet's point is that and when that doesn't happen. Now one of the things, uh, this is one of the reasons why I try to shift away from um, arguing that Solomon wrote the book, like I said I don't care. You, you can believe Solomon wrote the book, and sometimes I'm sympathetic to that argument, sometimes I'm not. But one of the things that, that comes from Ecclesiastes, it, it read in its historical critical context, uh, which is to say that it seems to be a post-exilic text, that the Jews have been forced from their land, lost their temple, and lost everything. And if that's the context in which Ecclesiastes emerges, it, it kind of gives a different tint to it. We had this deal with God, and in this land and in this place we find ourselves, all of that has been emptied. The deal has not been fulfilled. We are now um, questioning what that meant and who that is. And so the author of Ecclesiastes has this phrase that he uses several times, is that this is what life looks like under the sun. This is what life looks like with all that life touches uh, the, uh, at morning prayer, uh, we had a joke that the, using this, this machine on the table, which one of the, the translations for, uh, this one's all the way over here, um, one of the translations for meaninglessness um, is vapor. Um, this is off too. It just killed everything, huh? Um, the... Um, is vapor this sort of trying to grasp but the joke was that we now have a i never thought i'd pastor a church with a smoke machine (laughs) and strobe lights and let lo and behold the strobe lights came today i said "Ah, we don't put them on strobe that often but then there they were the smoke machine and strobe lights defiance church doing it like no one else can Uh, that's why we had to that's why we had to do the cash version and not the birds version right there um uh, but that's that's the world of Ecclesiastes. Um, uh, Peter Enns as the one who sort of summarized it this, thus far, saying, you "No, know, this is what Kohelet is saying. At the end of the day, life is frustratingly absurd. The cycles of nature are screaming that message to you. You live, you exert a lot of energy, but nothing new happens, just like the sun, wind, and rivers, and then you die." And one other thing, after you die, you will be quickly forgotten. This is the uh, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, is, this is the world of Ecclesiastes, though, and it's, it's important, I, I keep trying to reiterate, it's important for us to hear counter-testimony. Uh, we talked one week about um, the phrase sort of deconstruction in American Christianity. Um, losing your faith, all these other things that could go with it, and And one of the ways, I I tried to say there's many ways in which that phrase and those things function, but one of the ways they function um, is to say that uh, I grew up with the script that worked and never heard counter-testimony my church, my life of faith, whatever it was, proclaimed to me. I mean, this is in some sense also the American dream. This doesn't exist just in the church world, but that what I received was this sort of deal and it failed me, and that causes me to question everything. It's important then why I think Ecclesiastes is included in the book. It's why the father says at the end of the book, listen, my son, it's important that we listen to the teacher, that we listen to Kohelet is when we don't listen to these things, life can go quite wrong. If we think that all of this is for us to grab, and we never hear hurt by Johnny Cash, or we never hear anything um, that's sad, we begin to, to miss something. I talked about how um, it's important that we invite, uh, I, I forget which culture it is, but I think it's um, one of the Latino cultures that they... they pass infants over the open casket of people who died. Um, which is to say that, that you can't hide from these truths, right? Um, that that you, you invite them into your life because if you ignore them, which is the message at the end of the book, you can find yourself losing everything if it doesn't work out the way you think it, it does. And so it's important to hear from the teacher. Now what we have at the start of today's passage is is this beautiful sort of um, poem. And the poem is is sort of structured in this interesting way of sort of like there's good thing and bad thing, and then it switches and then there's bad thing and good thing, but it all takes place under um, sort of this everything has a moment, every purpose under the sun has a time. It's the opening lines of the poem, and the first one is a time of birthing and a time of dying, which is to say, everything which is in life, everything which is in life from birth to death has its time. Now, Kohelet may have written the poem himself, or he may be adopting it from culture, But, but part of the problem with the bird song is the poem without what comes at the end of the poem causes you to miss the entire point of the poem. Um... But the poem has the structure in which it goes through those things. This is going to be hard to see. It's not that hard to see. But if you just look at the structure, the plus and negative, um, birthing, positive, negative, dying. Um, In the second verse, uh, positive planting. uh, Or the second part of that verse, negative uprooting, uh, killing and healing. So it switches to negative, positive, negative, positive, breaking, building. Uh, Negative, positive, crying, laughing, mourning, dancing, Throwing stones, gathering stones. That one has a, quite a history of translation from land deals to um, uh, sexuality to, to sort of like trying to be fruitful, having kids. Um, there's no easy answer for what the throwing of stones is. There's several different interpretations. Um, embracing, shunning, um, seeking, losing, keeping, throwing out, tearing and mending or sewing, being silent, speaking, loving and hating, it ends with this "Is there is a time for war and there is a time for peace. And what the poem seems to be arguing, although there is no reference to God into it, is that creation has sort of its ordered structure, that there is a time in which birth happens, there is a time in which death happens, there is a time in which we mourn because it's loss, and then there is time of rejoicing. And almost in the Proverbs-like way, and this is you could see almost this as an argument in Proverbs, this poem, is that almost in the Proverbs-like way, the wisdom is knowing which time you're in, right? If you're in the time for war, it's important to know you're in that time. If you're in the time for peace, it's important to know that time. And so a lot of um, the real point of Proverbs and the longer sort of point that we try to argue is it's, wisdom is, is knowing and applying it wisely. It's not just having the sayings, but it's knowing when to, uh, to use them. That's what being wise is. Just having a collection of, of sort of platitudes you can throw out doesn't do you a lot of good. But knowing when to speak the word that heals when healing is needed, or knowing when to speak the word that cuts when cutting is needed to sort of um, to, to draw sort of confession and repentance, that's the deep challenge of being wise. Trying to find life in that way. And it's, to be clear, it's not, there's three sort of different ways of looking at the poem. There's this, it's sort of like that this is just deterministic. This is all that happens. Um, This is everything. There's another way of of looking at it in that wise way, and there's another way of looking at it as sort of like God has ordered these things. Um, It's not clear which way we're supposed to take the poem when we leave it, which is why it's important that we hear what Kohelet says afterwards. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He's also set uh, eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Kohelet's question as he finishes this poem, as he looks at life, and you could almost um, view Kohelet as speaking in the way in that history has no meaning. We cycle from one to the other, and there's nothing new. He says, we go from one, to, from war to peace. We go from healing to killing. We go from violence to this. We do, we do all this and there's nothing new under the sun. So what, in, in I think, um, what do workers gain is important to sort of hear that word is what do we profit? What is the profit of life? That is one of Kohelet's big questions because he's going to say it's for us to enjoy our work, but he leaves profit out of it when he gets to those points. It's in, and so the question is, what do we profit? How is it life works in our benefit? And as he earlier said, it, you know, you can, you can say, well, then some people gain, and Coelho says, yeah, but then the people who gain die. Um, what did the end summary say? And then you're forgotten also. Um, so uh, you have this way in which he's asking the question of these times, all these things in the poem, how are we to profit in that? And he sees that oftentimes when people say, you know, God has made everything beautiful in his time and he set eternity on our hearts, it's exempting the the sentence that precedes and follows. Uh, Incidentally enough, this is, uh, I just think, comical. This this passage is in the lectionary. Ecclesiastes only appears in the lectionary twice. Um, But this passage is on New Year's Day, which I think... you'd know, you have to have a cheery interpretation of it. I don't think it really quite works unless New Year's Day is, you're going to have resolutions. They might work, they might not, but you're going to die. Um, And next year, we're going to read the same passage, and that's what's going to happen. Um, That would be the honest preaching of Ecclesiastes on New Year's Day, but I doubt uh, they choose the other text for that. Or they don't do the honest preaching. They say, isn't it beautiful? Um, And so you have this, you know, he's made everything beautiful in his time. He's also set humanity... uh, Eternity in the human heart. Um, but for Kohelet, this is a burden. It's a burden that everything is beautiful in its time to God. The eternity, the limitness, that one's a hard one to say, but we'll just stick with eternity as the translation, is, is that you, no one can fathom what all this means. From beginning to end, we look at this, and we can't figure out which way it's going and why. Humanity's limitlessness, its quest to move beyond, its quest to have rationality on the other side of life, it's, the sense that it can try to make sense of it, is only a burden and frustrating because we can't figure out what that actually means. And so unlike the other animals, we look at this cycle and this world and we say, how do we profit from it? And what Kohelet says is, is that's a heavy burden for us. And this eternity in our hearts is hard because we cannot fathom what God is doing from beginning to end. Again, under the sun, we can't see these things. And so while God can see beauty, perhaps in the order of what's there, humanity, while trying to make sense of it, only grows frustrated. Can't grasp all the meaning, can't make all of it make sense. And so this eternity in the heart, Kohelet views, is frustrating for us. Because what he sees, and this is, um, I think, important for us to see, is that he sees that life has meaning when it can be lived according to a grand script and story. What he says, looking at under the sun, is that there is no grand script or story that we can live in. He needs the correction that comes at the end of the book but him looking at the material that we have at hand can't see a grand stripper story and one of the things that I was I was reading an article last week that that um, as anxiety has risen in the modern world that might be one of the, the areas in which anxiety is being caused to rise is we don't know any more what it means to succeed or what does it mean to go or go to college or not when I was growing up it was like go to college everything will work out (laughs) <laughs> fine, it, it worked out fine, but, but there was these deals that you could make. But what has happened in the modern world is we keep tearing down all the scripts. But the, and, and there's a way in which people look at the scripts and tear them down because they think they're oppressive or they do this and this, that, and the other, and so we should amend the scripts. and make Well, that's the problem, is I guess we tear down the scripts, but there's no, and then how do we amend things so that people can live fruitful lives? The notion that I wake up in the morning or wake up throughout my whole life and define everything according to the subjective I, which is kind of what Kohelet is trying to do, is one that leads to anxiety, frustration, loneliness, and depression. Um, that we, as meaning-making creatures, don't go that far. I mean, perhaps somebody can pull it off, but I know that I need places to slot in my identity or life, because if everything is free to be redefined again, it, it just is too much for us to bear. Um, and so as we look at the world in, in sort of Kohelet's eyes, our world, you know, is that this is part of what's creating frustration in our world is that we want a script to live, and yet we can't gain access to it. There was a famous story in the New York Times several years ago about a, febri- uh, a liber- self-described, um, I'm a liberal, I'm a feminist, I love all the freedom I ch- have, and I'm obsessed with Mormon mommy blogs. Um, and her, her idea was, is, uh, look, I love living, being limited freedom and this, that, and the way, and unlimited freedom and having all these choices, but I have this spot in my heart that looks at these women who have committed themselves to family and to raising their children and doing all this, and it's just kind of what I long for, and what am I to do with that? How am I to find myself in that tension there? Now, she is very clear she is not willing to give up what she's gained to go live in Utah. Um, uh, but, no, that was a stereotype, sorry. Um, Mormons live other places other than Utah. I think she might have said that. I think that was her thing, is I'm not willing to give all this up to, to go live in Utah. So in her words, don't, don't put that on me. Um, but, but that we find that even in that, she's, she wants a script to live by. It may not be that one, but she finds some comfort in that people have found those things and that they've been fulfilling. And the anxiety of the age sort of comes to her in different ways. Um, but we can't seem to grasp that. We can't seem to be able to make meaning of time in that way. And so humanity lives in this way, and Kohelet, again, he says that each of them may drink and find their satisfaction in all their toil. This is, this is where I was trying to be clear that here we work, but profit is not the question. How do we make a life project of ourselves is no longer it. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing can be taken from it. Um, it's quite the definition of faith there. Uh, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Human that I am, nothing can add to it and nothing can be taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. This is that shift in fear I talked about. Whatever has already been and what has been before, and God will call the past to account. An allusion to sort of the judgment coming here, but but this cycle of things that's going to continue on. that you look for a happy ending and it's not coming, as sort of Kohelet's words here. Um, and so it's left for you to find satisfaction in your toil, meaning in your work. Now, we read that passage, Jonathan read it from Luke again, about the man who builds a bigger barn and he talks to himself, which is similar to what Kohelet does, he doesn't talk to God. He builds a bigger barn to store all his stuff, and... Jesus' word to that is, you fool, this, li- this night your life will be demanded of you. That, that we think of life, and this is us, and it's the man in, in Luke's parable, this is why it still speaks today, as that our quest is to make more and more, to store, To and you can say, well, it's not money for me, it's meaning. <laughs> it's whatever you might want to store up to live off of so that you might enjoy another day. Um, uh, we do that, and what we hear, Kohelet, and what we hear Jesus saying is, you fool. We try to store up, and we try to make our own ways in the world. We try to, to take control, um, and this is not for us. It's interesting in that story that it is profit. the man is. He has more and more, and he doesn't use it to, to sort of make friends here, but he uses it for himself. Um, he's, he's, it's, it's, I was joking with somebody recently. He's kind of a parable for good stewardship which makes the story so hard Um, you know he's just being a good guy storing this up that's exactly what you should do Um, and yet there's this way in which that is empty Um, uh, it doesn't provide the meaning that we need for it the next is is the next thing he takes up is justice and his line on justice is interesting because he goes from justice to death again Uh, we he took death off the table just for a little bit but he's back to it again um, but he he thinks about justice, and his his line about justice is that this. As I saw something else under the sun, in the place of justice, wickedness was there, in the place of justice, wickedness was there. This is a bit um, where many people think he's also taking off his Solomon hat. If he's the king, and justice uh, and Solomon was, is it's his job to ensure justice in the land, for him to come up and say, you know, look wickedness is winning, justice isn't there, is not quite his spot to do. Um, this is more in an observation that pulls us away, perhaps, from that way of looking at it. But in the place of justice, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. That, that he can't seem to find justice in the world and I saw, oh, this is the fullness of it. Uh, God will bring into judgment both righteous, at the bottom here, God will bring into judgment both righteous and wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. And so this is a bit of a complex argument here, but he sees that there's wickedness in the place of justice, and then he takes comfort, he tries to say, and this is, it's in quotes in this translation, that we'll find judgment from God that will relieve this, Right? Um, that somehow God will will flip that equation. The quest for justice, longing for justice, which is an appropriate thing for Christians to do, is much, in in Kohelet's word, but in our words, world, too, is a statement of faith more than it's meant to be a statement of reality. That God will bring justice and make justice and put things in their proper order is a statement of faith. Um, we, uh, attempt to make that reality in a multiplicity of different ways and I don't think Kohelet or anyone would say that's not the case for humans to do but they would still suggest that you know justice is hard for us to achieve we're limited in our scope limit in our ability to see and it's perhaps that we rest in God that that might be true that the, the frame of human history is difficult to make shalom make sense of But his next argument, I think, kind of underdoes what he says there, because he says, Oh, and then I said to myself more, as for human gods, test them so that they may know they are like the animals. It's a quest away from justice now. Um, This is the reason why we read Psalm 8 to begin the service. Uh, That's counter-testimony, or this is counter-testimony to that true testimony that God crowned us a little bit higher in creation. Kohelet says, Not as far as I can see. As for humans, God tests them so that they are like the animals. Surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so the other dies. All have the same breath. Kohelet not using Genesis 1, in which God breathes into us something else. Um, He's looking at things from under the sun. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over the animals. And it goes back to everything is vapor, smoke, meaningless, All go to the same place, all come from dust, and to dust all return. Who knows if the human spirit rises upward or if the animal spirit goes downward into the earth? As he continues on this quest, he says, You know, maybe God will judge all these things out. But even if that's the case, as far as he can see, he says, Look, we die, animals die, we all have the same breath, we all live the same way. He's refusing, I think, to let himself have that escape to this logic. Justice, wickedness reigns in the place of justice. He refuses to say, you know, well, at least it'll all work out in the end. Now, the narrator, as we've ended every sermon with the words from the frame narrator, does want to say that God will bring about his judgment and that's an important thing to hear but as far as Kohelet and the words we're supposed to hear is he says it doesn't look like it makes that way on the earth and so he ends again with another one of these receive the gifts or seize the day or carpe diem passages so I saw that there is nothing better for a person to enjoy their work again not profit because that is for lot their lot for who can bring them to see what will happen after them Kohelet again looks at justice and the way the world is and sees that it's only for humans to be able to find, um, to enjoy their work and their drink and to find meaning in their life. I lost my little note card. One of the most meaningful essays that I want to end with some reflections on um, just briefly is an essay by Stanley Harawas called The Ethical Significance of the Trivial, which I think fits with Kohelet's words very well. What Harawas begins this essay in the 80s about is talking about that Time magazine at the, at the start of the year it published an article about what does it mean to live under the threat of the nuclear bomb. And they said what's scary about the bomb is you can do nothing about it. There are people in the article who say that all of life must be reconfigured to eradicating the world of the bomb, to trying to move beyond the bomb, to trying to take this thing off. And what Stanley Hauerwas says, um, if you've read him enough, as, as much as I have, you get to just calling him Stanley for some reason, um, But what he says is that that makes a totalitarian moment out of the bomb. What it makes is actually the most meaningful things about our lives is that the bomb exists. No longer is meaning found in anything that we have, but the overarching proof of the world is the bomb. Now, What he said in an interview just recently was that, you know, you could see how that sort of moves in that we had um, the struggle for civil rights, which he says was a good thing, and then we had the bomb, which we had to fight, and then Vietnam, but what he, he notes in that interview is he says that we just have moving totalitarian targets. We have new things that we all must live in light of. For a lot of my friends, it became that way under the last president, is everything must be reconfigured now that this person is president. How do we resist? And what Stan says, Stan, so you you read him as much as I did, you just call him Stan, sorry. Uh, What Harawa says in the end, uh, that was the second time I I messed it up. Um, uh, I did email him once and he said, just call me Stan. So I should say that I have permission. Um, But, uh, What he says is that that makes our lives meaningful only contingent upon opposition. And this is the frame that Kohelet is stuck in. And so the title of the essay is The Ethical Significance of the Trivial. What he wants to say is that in light of all these truths perhaps it's time for us to read novels, to plant gardens, to make quilts, cause in that way we reclaim our humanity from this thing. And the quote on the back of the bulletin, um uh he wants to say, for our lives become determined by the kind of urgency that robs us of the freedom to enjoy the time God has given us to make peace possible. Peace takes time. Put even more strongly Peace creates time by its steadfast refusal to force the other to submit in the name of order. Peace is not a static state, but an activity that requires constant attention and care, an activity that by its very nature takes place over time. In fact, an activity creates time as we only know how to characterize duration by noting that we did this first and this second and so on until we got somewhere or accomplished this or that. So peace is the process where we make time our own rather than letting our lives be determined by events over which we, it is alleged, have no control. What he wants to say is that to live peaceful lives in light of whatever totalitarian thing we want to do it, and for Kohelet, it, it's you're all going to die, so enjoy the moment. Harwa says enjoy the moment, and that's the freedom from the overarching the freedom to have it all make meaning he ends the essay and one we'll the sermon here is uh, our task therefore as a people of peace is to make the activities we care about determine rather than be determined by those forces that claim they are serving our interests by ensuring our future all they are ensuring is our survival not our lives that is a demanding task indeed, and the one that will take all the time and energy we can muster. But we will not be able to, to begin that process if we are unwilling to take the time to enjoy those activities through which we learn what peace is like. That we are able to take the time to be peaceful certainly takes out some very strong metaphysical drafts about the way the world is. At least for Christians, taking the time to be at peace derives from our strong conviction that the realities that claim to rule us that give us security to be at peace, are in fact not capable of such security. Instead, we believe that God has done all that is necessary to give us time to learn to be at peace in a world at war. We will not be of a service to such a world if we act as if there is no time left. Take the time to redeem those small moments because Christians will be of no use of the world if we act as if there is no time left to spare. And so we end with the words of the frame narrator. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched just for right words, and he, knew, uh, and he wrote what was upright and true. The words of the rise are like goads, their collected sayings like firmly embedded nails, given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of adding anything to them. Of the many books there is no end, and much study wearies the soul. But hear this. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all man-time. For God will bring every deed into judgment including everything, whether it is good or evil. We await that word of justice, and that is the word of the gospel in the book of Ecclesiastes, that God will make sense of it all. Let us pray. God, you have given this this time under the sun to look about and to consider the work of your hands Kohelet, the author of Ecclesiastes, looks only under the sun and proclaims to us the meaningless, the vapor, the chasing after the wind, the lack of justice in this world, and the way that we don't have access to the grand story that only you can see. And yet, God, it is your Son who comes to us and teaches us to how to inhabit this world in different ways.